Amen. Thank you, Pastor Corey. Good morning. It's, it's good to be with you. You know, I don't, uh, I don't take for granted just, just being together a- anymore. You know, it's, it's very easy in the past. It has been, I think, to just come and, and do our routine. But, um, yeah, I don't take for granted us being together to worship and praise God as one body. And I realize that the current situation, these are strange times, right? The current situation uh, keeps, right, it keeps us from all being in the same place at the same time for different reasons, different circumstances. I mean, I know families, they can't even be in the same room with each other at the same time. You know, so it's, it's sad and it's difficult. But that doesn't mean that we can't worship together, right? Together in person, online, worship and praise God and, and study his word together. So, you know, whether in person or online, I, uh, my prayer this morning is that God will knit our hearts together, right? And that we will come before him and receive what he has for us from him. So I have a confession to make. A number of years ago, when I was uh, finishing my job at Union Bank, right, some of you know that I, I worked for a number of years at a bank and in financial institutions, but when I was finishing my job at Union Bank, I wasn't a very good employee. Right? I know the Bible says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, do it with all your heart, as if doing it for the Lord and not for man. And I mean, I would show up for work every day. I would work hard. I would respect my coworkers. But honestly, whatever happened in the job, I didn't care. Right? And some of you are probably like saying right now, oh, I was expecting a real confession. That's no confession. That describes my entire work life. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> if you feel that way, I get it. You know, at the bank, I would be in meetings, and we would, in a bunch of meetings, and we would talk for hours about how to design reports, how to format the reports, how to update them, how to validate the data in order to track information to help a department determine how much time it takes an employee to perform certain tasks and whether it was financially feasible to outsource those tasks to another country. And I would sit in those meetings and I would think to myself, what am I doing here? (laughs) What am I doing with my life? And I don't think I'd say it out loud. (laughs) That's right. This is my confession. You know, but I knew what I was doing. I'm trying to make this big global bank just a tiny bit more profitable by assessing whether this task should be outsourced to a guy in India. That's what I was doing. And that's not all I did in my job, but but you kind of get the picture. That's, That's kind of indicative. And it's definitely indicative of of, of how I felt. I had no passion for what I was doing. 
anymore, and I couldn't care less what the outcome was. Right? And that's, that's a bad employee. Now, it wasn't always like that, but over time, I had lost my purpose and my reason for being there. And I think we'd all agree that purpose is important. Purpose in our jobs, purpose in our families, purpose in our lives. It's what gets us up in the morning. Without purpose, we stop caring. It doesn't matter. And like I said, by the end of my time at the bank, I wasn't a good employee. As we look at our, our passage this morning, as we open up God's word, purpose is something I want us to think about. And what's important to you? When do you start caring? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, and we're going to look at uh, today verses 22 through 28. The Apostle Paul writes, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. Between the two. I, desire to, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you, In my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Let's pray. God, we know that your word has power. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord. We ask that you would use your sword. You would speak to us this morning. And you would touch us wherever we're at, Lord. And you would um, make your word relevant to us. It would speak to our hearts. And it would help us, Lord, draw near to you and learn, Lord, what you want for us. So we pray, Lord, for open hearts that we would submit to you and that you would move on us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our study in the book of Philippians. And last week, Pastor Corey ended on verse 21, you know, which is probably the key verse in the whole chapter. Do you remember what verse 21 was? Right? It's where the Apostle Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Right? And today we're going to look at the ensuing verses. But I want you to know that when the books of the Bible were originally written, when the authors were inspired right, to write the Bible. Right? Most of these books, they were written without breaks. Right? In other words, they weren't separated by verse and chapter. These references right, were added later right, so that we could 
be able to digest it well and understand it. Our text today is really then a continuation of verse 21. And it's about Paul's thoughts about life and death. See, what we see here in our our text this morning is that Paul is in a quandary. He's trying to determine whether he wants to live or die. Now, just to be clear, he's not in control of the situation. He's not, you know, like determining whether he should take his own life or anything like that. As he writes this, he's in, he's in prison. He's under house arrest, and the Roman government controls his fate. Now, of course, we know that his fate is really, it's really in God's hands. But if found guilty, right, he would probably be executed. So death is a realistic possibility for Paul. If innocent, he would be set free. Now, for most people, this is not a difficult decision, right? It's not hard to determine, do I want to live, do I want to die? Right? But for Paul, it's, it's a genuine struggle. Look with me again at verses 22 and 23 again. He says, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Okay, so he's saying, sounds like he's saying he'd rather die. But then he goes on to say, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Have you ever struggled with a big decision? Okay, hopefully not like a decision like this, right? But a big decision, whether to propose or not, right? Whether to move or not, whether to take this job or not, right? In any big decision, there's always the potential for risk, for regret, and so we vacillate. This is usually what happens in most big decisions, right? We, we go back and forth. Uh, yes, well, no, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> right? Hopefully that's not the response you get when you propose to someone, <laughs> right? But we, we go back and forth, and I think this is, this is kind of what we see with Paul, just a little bit, right? It is better by far to die to leave this earth now, to go to heaven, and to be with Christ. But, (laughs) right, I see it's better for you, it's better for others that I need to love and to teach and to minister to and with, it's better for me to stay here. See, Paul struggles because contrary to conventional thinking, he actually sees great blessing in dying and going to heaven. Death is a strange thing, right? It's, it's not to be made light of, and I'm hopefully not making light of death. And death will touch us all at some point. Right? Death is scary because it usually involves pain. It usually involves suffering. It definitely involves the unknown. And if this life is all there is, 
then it makes sense that we would try to avoid death as much as we can at all costs. But for the believer, but for us as Christians, whose citizenship is where? In heaven, yeah. Death is not a threat. In fact, because of Christ, death is not even a loss. Right? Paul says it right here. It's a gain. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For the believer, the sting of death has been broken. It's actually a, a commencement. I was trying to think, what is this like? It's like a commencement, almost like a graduation, if you will, from this life. Right? A transition to a place where we will see Christ face to face. And we will experience the glory of God in all its fullness. And that's why Paul says, to die is gain and is better by far. But the struggle remains because Paul also sees great purpose in remaining alive. Paul sees his life as a function of God's plan. Back to verse 22, it says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. See, he knows that while he has breath, while he can get up, God has a plan and a purpose for him. And that's to proclaim Christ, and that's to lead others to him. He knows that his ministry to the Philippians must continue for their benefit. See, one of the big lies in our culture, propagated by the devil, is that our lives are random, that we evolve from nothing. Therefore, we have no purpose being here. Right? That it was accident, that it was chance. No overarching meaning, no eternal significance. And that's a lie. But then it makes life just a game. And then we just do the best we can in our careers, our finances, our love life, how we look and feel about ourselves, what we think. Right? Our identity and self-worth fluctuates depending on how we think we're doing. And that's why social media can be so dangerous. Right? Because it has the power to shape how you see yourself. And then when death comes, it's all over. Right? Again, according to the world, it's all over. Everything goes back into the box. Right? And this is a lie. It's a lie that our culture has swallowed whole. You know, when I was a bad employee, <laughs> going back to that, one of the things that impacted me most was seeing my coworkers play the game. Right? Living lives of futility, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. 
And they'd tell me about their longings and their loss and their pain. And then guess what happened after that? We'd go to these meetings to discuss reports, right, and discuss stuff that seemed so meaningless. And I don't mean to, like, say that all of these work tasks right, are meaningless. I understand their, their role. But this is what moved me. This is what moved me to ministry, right, to see that take place. Paul says, to live is Christ. That means our lives are to be defined by the life and love of Jesus. This is where we find our purpose. You may not be called to be a pastor or to go into ministry or missions. You may be retired. But you are called to live with purpose for him. See, Paul here is about, he's about 60 years old. Right? We think, oh, that's not too old. 60 at that time was more like 80. Okay, Paul and most people at that point were at the end of their lives. As we get older, right, sometimes we struggle. We struggle with life because our role at work, maybe our role in our families, our role in the community, right, has diminished. And we've lost some purpose. However, in God's plan, our purpose remains. Right? It remains whether you're young or whether you're old. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And that's not just a message for the young. So what is your purpose? What is our purpose? Well, wherever the Lord has placed us, wherever the Lord has placed you, at this church, in your workplace, at your school, right, in your home. Your purpose is to walk with him. It's to reflect his goodness. It's to serve others. It's to extend mercy and compassion. It is to share the faith when the opportunity arises. I can say for sure that is your purpose. Now, you may have a more specific calling, and purpose and things that you feel God wants you to do, and that's wonderful. But I know those things are things that the Lord wants for us, each of us. And since none of us are great at, at all of these things, we must seek the help of God and seek the help of one another. You know, in the last part of this passage, Paul kinds of Trent, Paul. Uh, kinds of, kind of transitions a bit. And he says to the Philippians that whatever happens, this is verse 27, whether he's able to return, the, return to them or not, he says, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. By this he means stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Standing firm and striving for the gospel are essential activities for us to be a strong Christian. There are many influences and temptations in life that threaten, that threaten to knock us down, 
threaten to destroy our faith. The devil looks to exploit our weaknesses. The world seeks to to force its values and shape you. And there are people that seek to persecute believers. Paul was one of them at one time. Now, in case you weren't aware, you weren't aware, the Philippian church was largely made up of retired Roman soldiers who had come to faith in Christ just several years before. So Paul here, he's kind of speaking their language. Right? He's saying, whatever happens, stand firm, hold your ground, do not waver. It's like a call to arms. Right? When I was in high school, for some reason, I got voted to be the sergeant of arms of my Spanish club. <laughs> okay, so this is not a serious story. Right? <laughs> and my job was to collect the dues. <laughs> you know, like, pay up, buddy. Right? And that was about my only job as sergeant of arms at the high school Spanish club, collect the dues. So I know what it means to stand firm and hold your ground. (laughs) As former soldiers, the Philippians, they knew what it meant to be loyal, to be patriotic to their nation, to their king. Here in Philippians, they're learning to be loyal to the king of kings. Did you notice in these verses that Paul isn't just telling them to stand firm as individuals? He's saying stand firm as one for the faith of the gospel. He's making a call to corporate unity. See, for all the positive things that Paul has to say in this letter, and his love is great for this church and for their generosity to him, and their support and prayers for him. He has a concern, a specific concern about division in the church. He refers to it more in in future chapters, but he is keenly aware that one of the greatest threats to the church and to the advancement of the gospel is division and conflict among believers. Look again at verse 27. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul encourages these retired soldiers to stand together regardless of whether he's there to lead them or not. They are not to function, they are to function out of unity and not out of Paul's presence. Like, oh, let's, you know, let's get it together. Here comes right, our leader. It is the Holy Spirit, then, that brings unity. We are one because the Holy Spirit makes us one, one body, one church. See, the way God designed our faith is for us to, be, to live it out together in community 
with one another, joined by the Spirit. This is the purpose of the church. We see it in Acts. We see it throughout the New Testament. Beloved, the Christian faith is not an individual enterprise. I know we often personalize our faith and we think about how we're doing spiritually, but it's a communal thing. We're meant to learn together. We're meant to grow together and labor together as God's people. And that includes working through disagreement and conflict with one another. Conflict is almost like a necessary evil. I don't think God brought the church together, and I don't just mean our church, I mean any church or every church, that he didn't raise it up with any expectation that there wouldn't be conflict. He intends for us to work through it together in order for his bride, the church, to grow stronger and to be refined. You know, kind of think of it like a, like a broken bone, right? A broken bone in your body. I've broken a couple of bones in my body. A bone that was damaged, fractured. Right? But oftentimes when it heals, when it mends, it's even stronger after it heals. Unity in the body, right? in the body of Christ, is essential for any of us to grow. We depend on one another. In Matthew, Jesus said that a house divided against itself will not stand. And like the Philippians, we need each other in order to stand firm in the faith and to hold our ground and to move forward. Purpose, purpose in this life is critical, isn't it? It's what gets us up. It's what motivates us. It's what inspires us. It's what drives our decisions and gives us direction. We may get along for a little while with no purpose, with no direction, or we may try to grasp at things that give us significance or identity or meaning, but those things are fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow, they're like, like the wind, The Apostle Paul was torn between life and death because he found his purpose in Christ. And Christ governs both life and death. He rules over both. Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Beloved, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's great purpose and fulfillment in living for Christ. But we need to do it together. We need to stand in the faith as one. And then when God calls us home, whenever that is, there will be great blessing and great rejoicing in knowing that we will see Jesus.
Amen. You know, as we close in prayer, I'd like to uh, invite the prayer counselors to come forward and the worship team uh, to come up. And as we sing our closing song, uh, if you would like prayer for anything in your life, anything that God has put on your heart this morning, I invite you to, to come forward and to pray with our counselors. They would love to pray with you and pray for you. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul and how he just articulated, Lord, some of what we need to know and some of what we feel in our hearts. Lord, help us, Lord, to find our purpose in you. Help us to set you first above all things, Lord, so that we can find, Lord, how you want to use each of us uniquely and to use us together as a body. We pray for unity within our church. We pray for your spirit to move among us and bind us together in Jesus' name. Amen.